And then I'd ask them, what percentage of time do you spend on that work? Oh, you love connecting with people. You love connecting with clients and colleagues and all this stuff. What percentage of time are you doing this right now at your job? 10%? Is there any way we can increase it to 15%? You know, because studies have shown if you just increase it by an hour, it has a ripple effect on the productivity of all the other work that you do. And if you're like, yeah, that kind of sounds like a lot of woo-woo stuff, look at Google. Google has done this for the last, I think, 15, 20 years where they give their staff a fifth of time, 20% of their time to pursue what's curious to them. And that, and guess what has come from that? Gmail, Google Meet, some of their largest billion dollar ventures came from allowing their staff to play and pursue right. their curiosity. Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst, now exploring human performance through podcasting, coaching, jujitsu, and endurance athletics. In this podcast, I'll be unraveling the stories of high performers across sports, business, and wellness. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Jeff Harry. My conversation with Jeff will feel a bit different than most of the podcasts I've done. Instead of my traditional focus of unraveling the stories, takeaways, and lessons from my guest's life, which we do get into a little, most of my discussion with Jeff centers around one topic, incorporating more play into one's life and workplace. I know what you might be thinking, who has time for play? I've got this business, this job, relationship, kids. Well, what if engaging in more play could help you tap into your truest self and feel happier and perform better every day? That's what Jeff shows to companies and individuals. He's worked with Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, the NFL, Amazon, and Facebook, helping their staff to infuse more play into the day-to-day. He's also presented at conferences such as Inbound and South by Southwest, and is recently selected by Bamboo HR and Engagely as one of the top 100 HR influencers of 2020, for his organizational development work around dealing with toxic people in the workplace. Jeff might be the highest energy person I've had on the podcast, and I think you'll find my conversation with him to be an interesting change of pace. And so, without further ado, my interview with Jeff Harry. So I actually want to start this interview off a little differently. I'm actually going to I want to read a passage from the book, uh, The Rise of Superman, uh, Decoding the Science of Ultimate Human Performance by Stephen Kotler. Um, Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of it? I I believe I have. I believe I've heard of the rise of Superman. Okay, cool. And I just like would love to get re- re- your reaction to it. So um, it starts off. What's painfully ironic here is that flow is a radical and alternative path to mastery only because we have decided that play an activity fundamental to survival tied to the greatest neurochemical rewards that the brain can produce and flat out necessary for achieving peak performance, creative brilliance, and overall life satisfaction is a waste of time for adults. If we are hunting the highest version of ourselves, then we need to turn work into play and not the other way around. Unless we invert this equation, much of our capacity for intrinsic motivation starts to shut down. We lose touch with our passion and become less than what we could be, and that feeling never really goes away. Woohoo! I'm done, man. Just, just leave it <laughs> right there. No, I mean, yes, exactly. Exactly. If you think about, you know, 
you know, I think of the Howard Thurman quote, you know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. When you are most alive, right, when you are most in your flow, when you are most at play, not only are those some of the best moments of your life, but that is when you're doing your best work. So why are we, you know, using grit or, you know, always forcing it or, or constantly fixated on, on pursuing results? When you know when you've been in the zone, like a basketball player, you know, right. when they're in the zone, they don't even know how many points they've scored. They just know that time has slowed down. They love the game they're playing and they could just, pl and, you know, they could play it forever. And that is what I'm constantly trying to get, you know, some of like the best leaders that I work with to do because that is when they're doing their best work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm just kind of wondering when, when, it, when that switch happened, when we'd kind of decided broadly as a society, when play sort of was a waste of time for adults. Oh, I can tell, oh, I can tell you, you want me to tell you? Yeah, sure. There, the, um, I always answer with why do adults not play enough? Um, and the answer is 148,000 no's. You know, by the time you reach the age of 18, you have heard the word no 148,000 <laughs> times, according to studies. And you've heard the word yes, eight to 10,000 times. You know, then you go to school where you're told to raise your hand and you're told to ask for permission all the time. And then you're should on by adults, should, I mean, you know, by adults, right. teachers, uh, parents, everyone is telling you. I mean, heck, people are shooting on you in when you were six, and we're like, you should major, you go into this when you grow up. You should be a doctor. Like you're like, I'm six. Like I, I don't know what you want me want me to do. So everyone's putting all their anxiety and their angst and all that stuff and all of their insecurities on you. Then you finally get to your teen years, where you're then bombarded by social media that is constantly telling you you're not enough. Right. Right. You know, and that, and that, so all of this is happening that it's such a rebellious act for you to play, for you to get in flow, you know, that, you know, and anytime you've tried to, you know, do something, you're told you're too much, you're too mischievous, you're too weird, you're too strange, all these things. Right. And if you think about it, like just simply you starting this podcast in January, why? Why? It makes no sense. Well, yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not? And think of all the adventures that you had because you were willing to challenge the status quo because the status quo will tell you, don't start this podcast. Don't take this risk. Binge watch Netflix, buy a bunch of stuff on Amazon and you'll be fine. And it's just like, I don't want to be fine. <laughs> I want to live my life to the fullest. And that's actually taking risks. And, and that's all within play. Yeah, I love that. That resonates um, a lot with me too. That's awesome. And I definitely want to get into like social media and technology and how this kind of uh, that interplay with play too uh, later on. But why don't we kind of go back to the beginning here? So when did your like deep dive exploration into play really begin? Like what sparked your interest in the topics? So um, third grade, <laughs> I mean, maybe <laughs> earlier, obviously I was playing before then, but I remember seeing the movie Big with Tom Hanks. Um, and in that movie, he, he played with toys for a living. And as soon as I saw that in third grade, I was like, oh, dude, that's a job. Oh, my gosh, that's a job. So I started writing toy companies in third grade, dude. Wow. And I just kept writing them all through my teen years, 
And then when I was a teenager, they wrote me back. They told me to go to mechanical engineering. I should have never listened to them, but I did it anyway. Went to college, you know, graduated with mechanical engineering degree, you know, worked for the toy industry, got my dream, got into my dream industry. And I don't know if you've ever gotten what you've wanted in life and then been so disappointed when you get it. But like, that's what happened. Like, you know, no play, no fun, in a cubicle, carpeted walls, no high fives, no kids, no toys. I was like, man, like they might as well have been selling like socks, you know, or microwaves. Like it really didn't matter. So had my quarter life crisis, left New York, moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, Found, found, bumped into this organization that had seven people teaching kids engineering with Lego, but they were just playing for a living, paying 150 bucks a week. It was like a joke of a job, but they were playing for a living. And I was like, yo, this is what I want to do. So I helped them grow it. And we grew it into the largest Lego inspired STEM organization, like in the U.S., but we did it all by playing. Like we had no idea what we were doing. We were making it up as we went along. We picked cities because they were fun. We picked people because they were fun. We failed miserably. We just kept experimenting. And then we got the attention of Silicon Valley, Facebook, Google, Adobe, you know, Netflix, all of those organizations. They asked us if we do team building events. I'm like, yeah, of course we do. Even though we didn't, we were just saying yes to everything. <laughs> and for the next like eight years, I was doing team building events for all of these tech companies. But I realized that even though they wanted disruption, innovation, agility, none of that they were doing because they had not created a place to actually play. So I created Rediscover Your Play to address bigger issues that are underlying so you can actually play, like dealing with toxicity at work, office politics, you know, getting into your flow, dealing with inner critic stuff, all that eggshell stuff that we tiptoe around so that we could actually really play at work and like do really good work in the world. Right. Interesting. And, um, so like, was your community and where you grew up, like your family, parents, did they encourage play a lot? I'm just no. talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, my dad would always tell me like, there's a time for work and there's a time for play. And I was just like, no, I think every moment can be play. <laughs> like, I really believe that like in my soul. And then I, and I grew businesses that way. So it was like, as long as you're in the play space, I mean, here's the thing that's crazy for me, right? We plan out so much, right? Like I plan out A to B to C. Like we plan our life out in a linear way. But if you look back at your entire life, none of it's linear. None of it's linear. And if you look at 2020, that should give you one perfect example of what happens when you plan way too, you know, way too well, right? Because we all had these huge plans of what 2020 was going to be. You know, I was going to double my business. I'm going to get married. I'm going to like speak all over the world. Like all these things, right? And then when they, those didn't happen, the people that thrived were the people that were able to just let go of that. But most people are so fixated on a result, right? Expectations are the thief of joy that they weren't able to let go of 2020. They weren't able to let go of those expectations so they couldn't create anything new. And I think that's where a lot of the hurt and depression and challenge was there. But if you're able to just let that go and play with the moment and be present in the moment, that's when you can create from a really powerful place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as you like grew up and got older, went into high school and college, did you find that you naturally started to play less and less? And like, as you mentioned yeah. earlier, like 
said got more no's and shoulds, you know, from old adults and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, all of like junior high, I remember putting moose in my hair because everyone, all the dudes had bangs and you needed bangs in order to date people, you know? So like, <laughs> so, so, you know, I have this Filipino, you know, Caribbean fl- fro and I'm putting moose in my hair and then trying to push it down, you know, and by fifth period, it would turn into like a <laughs> raccoon's bud and like shoot out my forehead. It was just embarrassing. But like, yeah, I was trying to impress people. Like how much, like I ask people this all the time, how much of high school are you still doing now? Where, you know, in high school, you were thinking about impressing people that like a year later, you didn't even really care about, you know? So yeah. I always ask my clients, like, who are you trying to impress right now? Like, who are you trying to show off to because mm-hmm. if it's someone that you won't care about in like a decade what what are you doing you know viola davis has this quote you either claim with every decision you make every single decision you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life and how many people do you know currently chasing their worth like currency looking for external validation either from their boss or their colleagues or their neighbors you know or whoever someone on likes social on media. social media yeah yeah. And it's just like, what are we doing, dude? Like none of this is actually bringing us happiness. You actually don't want what those people have. You think you do, but eventually you get it. And then you're just so disappointed. It's just like, instead we should be spending more time trying to figure out like what drives us, what makes us come up, come alive and be really trying to strengthen our way to tap back into our inner child and listen to our curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. And then like, just going back to social media too. Um, you'll see, you know, pictures of people posting like the highlights of their life. Right. And then you'll think, Oh, I need to get to that point where if you really maybe look behind the curtain of that person's life, it might be miserable for all the other 23 hours of the day. Oh my goodness. You are preaching right there, dude. Because, because I talk about this thing called affluent uh, deadness, right? Like I know rich people. I know famous people. I know influencers. I know, you know, you know, millionaires, right? Not that happy. If anything, many of them suffer from what I termed as affluent deadness. Like you can see the deadness in their (laughs) eyes. You know, for a lot of the millionaires, like they're either worried about losing all of their money, right? Because maybe they didn't earn it in the, they earned it in a nefarious way, but they're either worried (laughs) about losing their money or they have $5 million, but someone has $10 million. Or they're just so sad because they thought when they got to this echelon, like everything would work themselves out. I know a lot of people that have hundreds of thousands of, you know, Instagram followers or TikTok followers, miserable dude. But then the worst part about it is then they brag about how well they're doing in right. the Jake Paul sort of way, right? Like, ugh. And you know, there's so much insecurity. And then I ask them like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, the only place I get is validation. That's the only place I get my happiness. So they're selling this lie to us. And then we're striving to get up there only to be disappointed when we also get up there. So nobody's happy where they're at. And I challenge people to simply be like, figure out what makes you present right now. What actually, what is the, what is the stuff you do where you forget about time, right? You know, that work that you just love to do and do that. And you'll be so much more fulfilled and joyful and have a bigger impact and leave a bigger legacy in your life than if you're constantly trying to pursue these influencers. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm guessing part of that process too, or that might help is, 
going back to your childhood and what you used to do it as, as a kid and reconnecting with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I run a workshop called your futures where your fun is with my colleague, Lauren Yee, where we, we literally ask people, what did you love to do as a kid? And then we break down what the play values underneath that is like for her, you know, she loved sardines, which is like reverse hide and seek. It's freaking phenomenal. One person hides, another person finds that person. They pack in, they pack in like sardines. And then there's eight people in a corner hiding from the one person, you know, <laughs> don't do it during COVID, but once it's over, you should definitely do it. It's hilarious <laughs> with adults, especially when you're drinking. But anyway, you know, what she loved about sardines was it was creative. It was collaborative and it provided connection. So all of the work she loves to do now has to have those values in it. You know, like, what did you love to do as a kid? I mean, I was mainly a tennis player. So that's, I just loved playing tennis, like, all the time. And why? So let's break down. What was it about that that you loved? I was a really high-energy kid. Um, I probably still am a really high-energy high person. So, And tennis just provided a great outlet to do that. I just loved hitting the tennis ball and... So you love destroying the ball. Did you love the competition part of it or not as much? Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Okay. You love the comp and you love the movement part. Yeah, for sure. And then what else? Like, did you like the problem solving of it? Do you like, like figuring out someone's game versus your game? Oh yeah, for sure. I loved like different finding ways to improve my own game, um, different strategies to employ on the tennis court um, and all that. Okay. So I'm hearing like, you know, you love the destroying of the ball. I don't know. There's something that gets me from there, right? Yeah. You know, you love the movement aspect or just like being busy. And then also you love like trying to like craft this or, or how, do I, how, do I, how do I exponentially get better? Is there anything like that that you're doing now? There's, a, there's this business idea that I have um, and I've been working on strategizing and building and creating. It's getting me really jazzed up. So I, 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 I guess I'd go. use that. Yeah. So like, that's what I'm like fascinated by, right? It's like, I'd rather you be getting jazzed up to create this thing than doing a job just to make money or doing a job because like you're good at it. Like Gay Hendricks talks a lot about people have their zone of competence, things that are not good at, zone of competence, things they're like average at, zone of excellence, which I think a lot of people spend their time in where it's stuff that you're really good at, but you don't really care either way, but you just like like the praise. But the zone of genius stuff is the work where you forget about time that you, that you, if no one paid you, you would still do it. And that's the type of work that I think we should be pursuing more. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the podcasting is, is that for me or one part of that for me. Like I do this, like I'm doing this and no one's paying me. So right, right, and I enjoy right. it. Yeah. The other question, uh, let me know your thoughts on this is, is I've heard the question from Seth Godin, you know, what would you do if you couldn't fail? But another question that's interesting that I think he flipped was, what would you do anyway, even if you knew you were going to fail? What work would you do anyway? I know, I don't, right? I don't, know. I, 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 I don't know if I can answer that in this uh, podcast. But, <laughs> yeah. but think about that. If you figure that out for yourself, that is going to be phenomenal because then there's nobody can touch you. No, I mean, nobody can like affect you when they're like, well, you shouldn't do that. It was like, well, I don't really care. I didn't do it anyway. Like even if it fails, I love this process so much. And just because you have that attitude that you're like, I don't even care if it fails or not. I just love it so much. There's, there's almost no way you're going to fail because you'll devote 10,000 hours to this and become a master at this. Yeah. 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 That's great. I know we're jumping around a little bit here, um, but so you studied mechanical engineering in college. Is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. And did oh, you so horrible? <laughs> <laughs> All of my friends that are engineers, not even, or that majored engineering, none of them are engineers. None of them. So <laughs> that's funny. And so did 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 you still have play in the like the back of your mind when you were studying mechanical engineering and like yeah what did you think i mean you i still to try to incorporate it in my in my in in all my classes whenever we did a project you know i incorporated incorporated lego into it you know you know a spaghetti i mean i just like i just tried all these things <laughs> that a lot of times people are like why are you doing it that way and i'm like because it's the way i want to do it you know yeah i remember once we uh had to build a vehicle that was powered by a balloon and Mine didn't work at all. It was the worst. It was the worst one. But I brought in um, Night Rider music. That's how I brought it in. You know, like with like you know, you know, uh, what is it, Michael Knight and something. And uh, simply because of the presentation. I was able to get a passing grade. So you'd be amazed how play could even help you get through stuff when you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> Man, okay. So maybe just uh, for the people listening, provide like a quick overview of the work that you focus on now with Rediscover Your Play. Yeah, sure. So at Rediscover Your Play, um, I'm combining positive psychology, you know, which is the study of what's right with people. A lot of psychology up until the 1980s was studying what's wrong with people. But positive psychology is about let's double down on what's right with people. Um, and I combine positive psychology with play to address really important issues in the workplace. So some of those issues are like dealing with toxicity at work. Like everyone knows one toxic person at work who's causing people to quit, who's causing that company millions of dollars. Why is that person still there? Why have we not had a conversation with them? So I help people navigate that conversation by actually practicing having hard conversations at work, which is ironic okay. because, you know, if you think about football, right? They practice all week for three hour, a three-hour game. That's what they do, all week practice. But when you get to work, now you never get to practice. You constantly have to produce. You constantly have to make money. And never, you never get to practice anything like having a hard conversation. So, you know, so we do that. I also address office politics, you know, because a lot of times people have the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after meeting, which is really like a waste of time. And it's because people, again, don't want to have hard conversations. So how do we use play in order to have those and like really address things that are ridiculous and, and, and stop doing the blame game? Um, I do a workshop called Inner Critic, Playing With Your Inner Critic, which is about addressing that mean voice in your head because that usually is what's getting in the way of your creativity and you getting into flow. And then um, two other workshops I run is one on um, how to get staff into flow, how to get them to do their best work. And the last one is called Dudes Do Better, which is all about calling out founders that are like, I'm a hero and I'm creating everything in the world. I'm the next Steve Jobs. And you're like, really, are you? Like, I don't know if you're making that much of an impact. Let me call you on your BS and let's actually see what work you actually can do that will have an impact <laughs> on people's lives. Interesting. Very cool. And on the, uh, the toxic addressing the, like the toxic employee at work, yeah. um, will the toxic employee, I guess, be a part of that workshop, whether they know it or not? <laughs> I mean, maybe, I mean, sometimes they are, sometimes they are, you don't really know. Right. Yeah. I never, I'm never really calling that person out. Right. Mm. Because again, this is about, this is about setting boundaries. So <clears throat> 
you know, just for your listeners, if they're like, yeah, I have a toxic person. I want to deal with them right now. All right, here, <laughs> four, four steps. I was about to say simple, but they're not simple, but they go from easiest to hardest. Uh, first step, especially at work, usually that toxic person takes up a ton of time you know, at work, especially at meetings, they, they speak 60, 70, 80% of the meeting. So the first step you could do is work with your colleagues. And you're like, listen, we're going to take this meeting back over. Like Chase, Jeff, you know, when I speak and, and Chad, sorry, Chad, but we're going to use you as the <laughs> notified a-hole in this situation. When Chad cuts off Chase, I'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Chase, Chase has something to say. Can we let Chase finish? And we start getting each other's back and we start occupying the meeting more over the next three to six months. We just start taking it over and setting boundaries because right now we're letting, we're letting Chad just run amok, right? Second is you will confront Chad directly. And if you don't feel comfortable doing it by yourself, you confront them with somebody else, but you don't attack their behavior. You don't attack their character. You address their behavior and the impact that it's having. So, yo, Chad, right. when you cut off Chase and Jeff at, at, in the meeting, basically what you were communicating is that you don't want to hear what they have to say. What that communicates to all of us, you don't want to hear any, any of our feedback. Is that, is that the impact you want to have? Because that's the impact you're having. And that toxic person might not even know. They might just be an engineer that's just really bad at communicating, right? So you, you, attack, you address that. You address their behavior, not attack their character. So that, they, that you, keep the, you don't make them feel all defensive. But let's say Chad's like, F you, man, I'm going to do whatever I want. All right. So that's when you have to go to their supervisor and you have to talk about the impact Chad is having. Chad usually is the brilliant jerk, the person that brings in the most amount of revenue. But as Simon Sinek has said, when he interviewed the Navy SEALs, the Navy SEALs will never pick the brilliant jerk, regardless of how brave, you know, strong, smart, all those things. They will not take that person because it destroys the team. You've seen this in sports when a really amazing player leaves a team and then the team gets better, right? So you have to point out like, hey, I know that Chad brought in $1.5 million last year, but he also get, got four of our staff to quit, which costs us $2 million. So he's actually costing us half a million dollars. You know, is it worth keeping Chad or can you talk to Chad and have him change his behavior? And then finally, the last step, and this is the really hard one, is you have to address your inner Chad, your inner a-hole, your inner critic that is like, because there's a reason Chad triggers you is because you might believe you're an imposter. You might believe you shouldn't get paid as much as him. You might believe that you shouldn't speak up at meetings. But once you're able to identify like, wait a minute, I'm a badass. Like, I'm so much better than Chad. I should be his boss. Once you recognize that and then Chad says something disrespectful to you, you go, Chad, don't ever disrespect me in that way. And then it's like, oh, Chase just stepped up to Chad. Oh, Jeff stepped up to Chad. Look, all these people are stepping up to Chad. I'm not going to take his BS anymore either. And then Chad has a choice. He either changes his behavior or he's got to go because he can't be his normal Chad self anymore. Right. Right. Interesting. You mentioned also on your website that some of your work revolves around navigating uncertainty through play. Yeah. Like how yeah. does play help with that and maybe provide like an example, like real or theoretical? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the perfect examples is 2020, how fixed fixated we got on our goals on 2020 and then weren't able to let those go. Right. And there's something about, you know, when you are able to actually 
allow yourself to let go of your results. I keep saying it over and over again, but expectations are the thief of joy. Like you actually, when you are so fixated on results, that is where suffering happens, right? That is where depression happens. That's where disappointment happens. All of that is when you are so fixated, like I need to have it happen this way. But when you're in a play state, like actual flow state, what is happening you know, to your prefrontal cortex is your inner critic is actually slowly dissipating. And then your implicit mind appears. That's the creative part of you. And then you become highly curious. You get a shot of dopamine and you start to see all of the possibilities in front of you. And when you're in that state, there's so many more chances for you to be successful. And you know you've done this when you travel and you're like just open to saying yes to everything. You're like, what am I going to do today? I actually don't know what I'm going to do today. I'll say yes to this. I'll say yes to that. And all of a sudden you hop on a moped, takes you to deserted island. And all of a sudden you're at the best party you've ever been to in your life. And you meet the love of your life underneath a full moon. Like, you know, like <laughs> these things happen because you're playing, right? But what, you know, what we do so much of the time is we constantly want this one way to go and just think of how much opportunity you've lost when you get so fixated on one result. Yeah. And then tying that or tying it back to human performance too, like you'll see a lot with Olympic athletes and kind of that fixation on the gold medal or the result. And then they get there, um, they achieve that and it's, this kind of like now what, or they retire. And it's just like, you'll see a lot of them just battle depression for years and years. You know, yeah, some that doc- suicide. Yeah. yeah. Did you see that documentary on a bunch of Olympians about yeah, that? Yeah. Weight so, of gold. Yeah. Yeah. So disappointing. And it's because they've always been fixated on the results. Right. Mm-hmm. But they could still find, think about it. What made them so awesome is when they were in the zone, when they like loved doing the work for doing the work's sake. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's why it's really, it's just, it's tough because these are some of the best, you know, most prolific athletes ever to live and they go through so much suffering. So if anything, they are teaching us as well as people, you know, here's another thing, as well as people on their deathbed, a a lot of, you know, one of the biggest regrets of the dying is I wish I lived the life. I wish I had the courage to live the life that I want to live and not the life that others expected of me. And I think for a lot of Olympians, they, everyone expected them to become gold medalists. So when they became that or didn't, let's say they didn't, let's say they became a silver medalist or a bronze medalist and then still felt like a failure after that, like a failure that you were second of the greatest, you know, athletes of all time. And you're not going to celebrate that. You know, it's just amazing that this is not about achieving anything. It's about being present and being, you know, yourself and being happy as you. Yeah. Cause getting that gold medal moment lasts for seconds whereas it took years and years of, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think play will be, will ever become mainstream? Um, I think the name will become mainstream. I don't know if the action of play, like I define play as any joyful act where you forget about time, right? Where there's no result and no purpose, you know? Uh, and in the work setting, like people don't want that, you know, you know, a lot of companies don't want play, but what's ironic is they do want flow. They do want their staff to achieve the best. Right. So right now, what I'm telling a lot of team leaders when I'm working with them is, 
your, your staff is currently suffering right now. When was the last time you asked them how they're doing? You know, 85% of, of, of employees around the world are disengaged at work. This was before the pandemic they did this. So I can't imagine how many people are now looking for other jobs. So knowing that that is a possibility, the next time you talk to your staff, you should ask them, what's the work you love to do most? Like, what's the work where you forget about time, where if you, if I wasn't paying you to do this, you'd still do this. And then I'd ask them, what percentage of time do you spend on that work? Oh, you love connecting with people. You love connecting with clients and colleagues and all this stuff. What percentage of time are you doing this right now at your job? 10%? Is there any way we can increase it to 15%? You know, because studies have shown if you just increase it by an hour, it has a ripple effect on the productivity of all the other work that you do. And if you're like, yeah, that kind of sounds like a lot of woo-woo stuff, look at Google. Google has done this for the last, I think, 15, 20 years where they give their staff a fifth of time, 20% of their time to pursue what's curious to them. And that, and guess what has come from that? Gmail, Google Meet, some of their largest billion dollar ventures came from allowing their staff to play and pursue right. their curiosity. I don't think you can do 20% for your staff, but you can give them 5% of time to look for that and just see what happens. And at least it will communicate to them that you care and that you're engaging them and you want them to do the work that they are meant to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you get a, do you get a lot of like, Oh, but, but Jeff, like, I don't have time for, for play. You know, I have this, yeah. I have this job. I got these, these, these kids, I gotta do this and that. Like, I just need to support my family blah, blah, blah. Like why, why should I even pay attention to this? Um, I say like, you know, I actually believe whenever I hear someone say, you know, I don't have time to play. I'm like, I always say to them, you do not have time not to play because, because let's say just talking about this in the, in the workforce, right. By not playing, you could be, your company could become the next blockbuster. If you think of the companies that are thriving right now, Steven Johnson says, the future is where people are having the most fun. That's where everyone's gravitating towards. That's where all the money is going towards. So if you think of TikTok, Hulu, Disney, Netflix, they're all playing right now. But if you think of the companies that are not, that are going out of businesses, the Sears, the JC Pennies, the, you know, the, you know, all of those like that are just, they're going to become the next blockbuster. And if we're talking about from a personal standpoint, you know, Dr. Stuart Brown says the opposite of play is depression. So, you know, if you're not playing, you're not teaching yourself resiliency, you're not becoming adaptable, you're, you're being, staying very fixed in your ways, and play actually reduces stress, increases dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, you know, it actually makes you feel younger, it actually does all these things that will help you live a longer life so you can spend more time with your kids, right? You can actually learn a ton from your kids because they're actually fully present in the moment. And by not playing, you're putting yourself in a stress-induced state where, you know, right. it could eventually lead to depression. Yeah, yeah. How has your work impacted or how do you foresee it impacting the way organizations recruit, recruit talent? I think when I've talked on recruiter uh, podcasts, I challenge a lot of recruiters to rethink what they believe culture is, right? And how they are actually bringing new staff in. Because I, right now what's happening, and let's just talk about it from like a race standpoint, you know, 
if if you they've they've done studies where if you put two resumes in front of a recruiter and one of them has a name that sounds more black sounding or latino sounding they're 20 percent less likely to get hired that was study was done first in the 80s and then it was recently done like five years ago same result so nothing's changed so i challenge recruiters not just from a race standpoint but i challenge recruiters to relook at resumes and be like what is it that we're missing you know what you know i think a lot of times we hire people that are just like us you yeah. know there's a lot of challenge around like oh you know we have a lot of diversity hires but someone said this recently where they were like do we have homogeneity hires or homogenous hires because that's what happens most of the time we hire people that look like us we are people that sound like us we are people that that you know we get along with that might be just like us which means you're only bringing the same type of energy and the same type of ideas to the table and i've seen that at so many corporate meetings when you walk into the meeting you're like everyone looks the same why are there way too many dudes in this room right now <laughs> like at so many of the tech companies it's like are you kidding me you don't think that you know i remember one of my friends she was an engineer and she helped create a patent for this top engineering company. And she was in this meeting with like six other engineers, you know, prolific world renowned engineers. And they were trying to figure out like a stent or something. And she goes, oh, why don't we use a scrunchie? You know, the thing that I put my hair up with. And most of the guys were like, what's that? What's a scrunchie? And then she like showed it to them. And they're like, oh, it's like, dude, they created a massive patent that was multi-million dollars because huh. they brought someone in that didn't agree with them, that didn't look like them. That is what we need to be thinking from a recruiting standpoint of how we're bringing a diverse amount of ideas and perspectives in the room. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. How, how generally receptive have organizations been to this idea of play and like hosting you to do one of these workshops? I mean, at first, a lot of them are not, you know, <laughs> but as long, but as, but as soon as I say, you know, let's talk about where the future, where the fun is, right? Let's talk about the companies that are thriving right now, you know, adaptable, resilient, all of the qualities that play is, then they're like, oh yeah, I, I see, I see what you're talking about. Or when I talk about it from the stance of flow and like, how do you want to get more out of your staff? Then they're like, yes, I definitely want to do that. So of course, at first they really do see it as frivolous but the more that they actually see their staff thriving, the more that they actually see what play can provide. Like here's, a per, here's two really crazy examples from TikTok, right? The Buffalo Bills just, hired, just got these two interns. I think they're like in their early 20s to like just be like, hey, you get a whole floor, do whatever you want on that floor, but make TikToks <laughs> about the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills social media has increased dramatically because these two guys are just playing all day on this floor, right? The Washington Post, this really boring <laughs> newspaper that Gen Zers would never read. There is now a dude that is just creating ridiculous Washington Post videos. And all of a sudden, Gen Zers, Gen Xers, Zennial, all these people are like, wait, let me relook at the Washington Post. So again, play as a way to rethink how we're problem solving, especially when we can't, we're not getting back to normal, everybody. Like normal didn't work. Your marketing before and your sales and the way you approach it, it's not going to work after this pandemic's over. You have to rethink all of this. So you might as well figure it out by playing more. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I don't think, yeah, things are going to go back to quote unquote normal or before they were 
pre pre COVID. Right. Yeah. Whether that be like mentally or like literally, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> And also, no one wants to go back to normal. Well, not no one, but a lot of managers have been saying this in a lot of articles recently. What's the what's a new tr- like? A lot of reporters have been asking like, what is a, a trend that's going to happen in 2021? There's going to be a lot of staff that you're dealing with that won't want to go back to work. They'll want to re- work remotely. Oh yeah. And you at one point told them it was impossible for you to work remotely. And now they called you on your BS because this is real. And now they're working at home and they're more productive at home. What are you going to do during that time? Are you going to say no? Are you going to lose that talent? Because there is going to be this influx of people leaving, leaving the, the corporate world and either starting their own stuff or looking for businesses that will allow them to be more themselves and allow them to sometimes work in their pajamas. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was actually going to just follow up with like, like the current nine to five staple work day and structure probably inhibits play from realistically taking place a lot of the time. I mean, yes, absolutely. Like let's break down the eight hour work day. Where does it come from? It actually comes from a Welsh labor activist named Robert Owen who created this in 1817, eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure, eight hours of sleep. Like that was the rationale behind it. But then nobody touched it for almost 100 years or over 100 years. And then Henry Ford only implemented the eight-hour work week, eight-hour work day because his staff was dying on the assembly line during the Great Depression and people didn't want to go to work anymore. And he goes, hey, we'll reduce it to eight hours. I'll double everyone's salary. And then people came back to work. But since 1926, when he implemented it, 94 years, nothing has changed about the eight-hour day. Yet studies have found most people can only focus and be productive for two hours and 53 minutes of the day. Even though our workday has now increased to 8.8 hours and some people it's even 10 hours. So what in the world are we doing for 5.8 hours of the day, dude? We're doing stupid meetings, a lot of stupid meetings. We're making up work so we look busy. We're on social media. We're looking for other jobs. We're just (laughs) not working. We're just, or we're not working yeah. at our capacity. So like, even though we're overworking and working 60, 70, 80 hours, it's not effective. And like many companies have found, sometimes when you break it to a four day work week, more productive, more work done in four days than they would do in five days. So we really have to rethink, like if I can only get three to four good hours out of my staff in an eight hour day, what type of work do I want them to do? Obviously it's the work that they're best at and it's the work that makes them come most alive. Yeah. How about, how about for you? Like how have you had to adjust like your own work due to the whole pandemic situation we're in? I know it's, it's interesting. At first I was just like, Oh my gosh, I run all these in-person workshops. What am I going to do? You know, but also, you know, there's a silver lining with all this, right? I've now run workshops in Canada. I've run a workshop for the Department of Homeland Security. I've run workshops for biomedical companies like far away that I would never be able to get to. Like I've talked to people all over the world. That's fascinating. This does not happen, you know, without this. So I think a lot of times we have to relook at, you know, how do I turn this crazy time into something that is possibly an opportunity. I remember working with a client that was like, I miss travel. That's all she did. She traveled all over the, you know, all over the world. That's, she worked and traveled all over the world. She was a VA, right? And it was just like, well, how can you do that now? What is it that you love about traveling? And she goes, I love talking 
to people from other countries. I love connecting with other people. I love having these crazy deep conversations. How can you still do that? So she found, you know, uh, Camp Indie, uh, Nomadic Network, all of these travel organizations. Now she's on like three or four happy hours a week with people from all over the world. And what's awesome is not only is she doing what she did during travel, but she's setting up all these people, all these places where she can visit now and have places to stay with people. So again, it's just like, we got to revisit what we're doing. We don't, we can't see it all as bad and we can't see it all as good. We just have to see it for what it is being like, what opportunity is happening amongst all this chaos? Yeah. And do you think that the concept of play plays an even more important role in today's environment? I think it's everything. I think like if 2020 has taught you anything, it's taught us that nobody really knows what they're doing. We're all making it up as we go along. And anyone <laughs> that claims that they're an expert, I always want to go up to them and be like, oh, were you, were you here in 1918? Did, did you deal with that pandemic and run a business? Because if you're not, you need to shut up right now, right? Like, so, so the, the only reason any advice would resonate with your listeners is because frankly, your listeners have already been giving that advice to themselves, right? And I'm only saying it in a, in a different way that is resonating. I tell this to people all the time. You have all the answers that you need. All of them you need. You don't need them from someone else. You don't need them from some book. There's not another class or course or degree that you need to take. You have all the answers that you need right now, which is super scary because then it's all on you, right? But it's also empowering because also it's all on you. So you simply need to play enough in order to figure it out. So just allow yourself the opportunity to actually play. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Even though you've uh, spent a long, long part of your career um, within play, and at any point in your career, have you felt that you've spent too much time being too serious? Oh, uh, yeah. I think when I was at my, my dream industry job and trying to get the approval of my bosses, right? You know, um, uh, what is it? I might have said this earlier, but, you know, you know, Viola Davis says, you know, with every decision, you either claim who you are, or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. And it's just like, gosh, like I whole time was trying to get approval from everybody else, but not focused on like what I need to do for me. Right. And it took me like, I think over a year before I left that job. And for a lot of your listeners, this is like, all of you know, you're at a job that you might of wanting to leave a long time ago or a relationship or whatever it is, because you don't want to go out into that uncertainty, but the uncertainty is where all the play is. It's, it's the deep end of the pool where you can do the most, the coolest dives and all that other stuff, but it's also really scary out there. So, you know, I'm not, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like in order to feel the high highs, in order to feel the true joy, you also have to feel the low lows and the really, powerful fear. Like, what is it? Will Smith jumped out of a helicopter recently, bungee jumped. And he said, he's like on the opposite, opposite side of fear is everything you've been wanting. All of that cool, all that, all those amazing ideas are right on the opposite side of that. So we either have the choice of living that really exciting life, or you could choose to just binge watch Netflix for the rest of your life. And if that makes you happy, you know, more power to you, but I have a feeling it won't you know? And after a while, you'll just kind of feel empty inside. 
you know, and just like we said earlier, it's just like at the end of your life, don't you want to have as little regrets as possible and really feel like I played out my full life. I played all out and, you know, and I'm, I'm good to go because, you know, I lived a full life because I was willing to take the risks. Yeah. And I can, I can empathize with that too. I used to work in private equity, um, you know, very high pace, intense job. And then right. it, that was sort of like, the opportunity that I got was an opportunity that I wouldn't even have dreamt of when I was in college. And so um, there was a two-year program I left. When I left, like I was definitely in the very much a state of like, like in the low lows, um, not ha- happy about my situation at all. And then when I sort of let go of that was when all of the possibilities opened up to me. You know, this I've created this podcast. Right. Now that the idea is this new business that I'm really excited about. So yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and think about when you were at the, what you said, a uh, finance company? Yeah, pre- yeah, private equity. Yeah. yeah, so you were surrounded by wealth, right? Were all these people really happy? Like, did they, were they like, you know, were they just <laughs> always like, man, I, I'm so happy with my $200,000 or half a million dollars or whatever they were getting paid? Or were they constantly being like, man, I need to get paid more. I don't have enough. Yeah, um, it's hard, hard to say. I'll say this. They definitely enjoyed, enjoyed their work, whether, whether or not they were really happy right I'm, I'm not sure i'm not right. sure what are your thoughts on technology's impact on how children are playing today like i'm guessing that there's quite a big difference between a child playing on an ipad versus say playing with their friends on the playground yeah so you know um there's a lot of science behind this that that what it means to actually play is it's free play it's the stuff you actually used to do at a recess where that is where you can build compassion, empathy, connection. You know, it's crazy. Dr. Stuart Brown found that people that didn't play a lot, a lot of serial killers actually showed those tendencies not to play. They had not built compassion, empathy. And when you think about that on the playground, that's you constantly have a choice, right? You have a choice of whether to play a game or not. You have a choice to solve your own problems when you're playing games and you're arguing about the rules and things like that. And what has happened, I think, a lot now is our, um, our kids today don't have as much choice. They're scheduled with all these things they have to do, all these different... This is why COVID has actually had a blessing in disguise for many of them, is because, you know, when you're constantly playing sports and it's just like, it's all about winning, you know, when you're constantly like, oh, we have to learn the piano, like you're, you're constantly focused on the result. They're not giving them the opportunity to actually do free play. Now, there are certain things with technology that do allow free play, you know, like Minecraft, that is a free play app and it allows for creativity. A lot of engineers are inspired that way. You know, Lego even has like a virtual thing. So it's more like, where are the play places where you can create, you know, TikTok is a right. great example, right? Instagram, all about how, what image you look like, you know, and that's why a lot of people are leaving Instagram because you go on Instagram and you feel like crap. You go on Facebook, you feel like crap. You go on Twitter, you argue. But on TikTok, <laughs> people are just making a fool out of themselves. They're just playing around. They can duet each other and just like at, play together. So there's a creation aspect. So again, like, I don't want to demonize technology because we demonize the radio when it first appeared. We demonize the TV when it first appeared. It's a tool, right? So it either can be really powerful in in one way or it can be really negative in another way. And what we have to look at is like, how are we allowing kids the opportunity to have free play more 
and, and allow them to actually be bored instead of constantly shoving devices in front of them so they won't bother you and allow them right. to actually be bored and allow, because that when you're bored, that's when you get your best ideas. Mm -hmm. And that is when you actually start to build those creative synapses, you know, and become more curious about life. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. What's your ultimate vision for Rediscover Your Play and like the work that you're doing around play? You know, I, I don't know. I have a mantra that, you know, uh, I want to help, you know, millions of people to rediscover who they are through play, you know, and whether that's doing that with organizations and helping staff, you know, actually like build a psychologically safe work environment or that's individuals that are like, I want to start a business. I want to pursue something that seems crazy. A lot of the clients I work with, you know, at first, they don't really think they have the bravery to take a risk. And then like four or five months later, they're doing stuff that they never thought possible. I love seeing that, right? And the more I can have that impact, I mean, I've been on, I think, 87 podcasts in the last seven months. And a lot of people wow. ask me, you know, they ask me like, oh, what are you trying to sell? Like, is there a book you're trying to sell? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to talk about how play is so crucial in your life to bring you fulfillment and joy and also so crucial for the world because the more you're doing the work that you're meant to do, the more of an impact you can have on the world in a positive way. Isn't it crazy that by simply being paid to be you, you can have an impact on the world? That's what I'm trying to help people just figure out. You don't have to like, you know, solve all the world's problems, you simply just are going to figure out what drives you, right? That driving force, right? Exactly. And <laughs> pursue that and see where that curiosity takes you. And it's going to take you to some magical place, you know, where then you can start to have an impact. Awesome. And getting into these last handful of questions here. Let's say we meet again on the street in five years. What would yeah. you want to be telling me that you've created or accomplished since this conversation? It can be personal or professional. Oh, I mean, I mean, a few different things, you know, I would have loved to be like, hey, you know, since you saw me, I've been on hundreds of podcasts, did the Ted Fellows thing, you know, you know, did the Ted thing that, you know, spoke at Davos, you know, all those things. <laughs> but, but those are all like, again, results, right? Yeah. I'm pursuing them. But also, if I didn't achieve those, but I but I still had adventures, I think the thing that I would love to come back and, you know, when I talk to you would be, I'm still getting paid to be me, you know, and me has evolved. Yeah. And I feel like that is true success, not like hitting a certain number of followers or money or anything like that, but simply like, am I getting paid to be myself? Because isn't that what we're trying to do? My, my business mentor, Stephen Worley always asked me that, like, isn't that what we're trying to do all the time to just be accepted as ourselves and then imagine getting actually paid really well to do that. Yeah, that's, that's great. I love it. What does your daily routine look like? So this is funny, but my, well, first off, I don't know if I have a daily routine. I follow my curiosity and my play, but usually what I start my day, off with is it with a TikTok video. Whenever I make a TikTok video, it it make it, it frames my mind in a play-oriented way. I'm highly creative, curious, so I'll make a TikTok video and then I'll ask this question that my friend Desiree uh, told me to ask myself. You know, how can it get any better than this? And 
And I ask that with curiosity because what happens when I ask that question is then I look, my, my brain actually, you know, because brains are always looking for a pattern. I look for other positive things that are about to happen, right? So I made a TikTok this morning. Ooh, how can it get any better than this? Then I was on the System to Thrive podcast. Ooh, how can I get any better than this? Then I, I spoke to Anna from building, you know, performance teams. Oh, that was super interesting conversation. How can it get any better than this? Then I got a notification that, you know, the conversation with Chase is coming. Oh, let's go. Now we're having this conversation. How can it get any better than this? I get to brainstorm with my friend Humaira on our workshop, Dudes Do Better. How can it get any better than this? And then I, you know, I'm doing this cool book you know, discussion later on tonight. How can it get any better than this? And just keep asking yourself that question. You constantly are looking for the positive patterns. Now, what most people have are bad days, but I challenge people when they say they have a bad day because what I say is you had a bad moment because based off of positive psychology, Thoughts only last nine seconds to 90 seconds, most thoughts, but we ruminate about that thought over and over in our, get, in our head, and then we prime our mind to look for more bad moments. So by simply shifting that back and asking the question, how can it get any better than this, from a curious standpoint, not a yearning standpoint, you actually can create an entirely different day and possibly change your life by asking that question. Awesome. So as is the name of the podcast, the Driving Force podcast, what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life? I think what has been my driving force is when I see people that have not played in a really long time in their pantsuits, in their suits, and all of a sudden they're giggling like kids again. And that's when I'm like, oh, there's the magic. Like, there yeah. it is. It's always been there, right? I keep telling people this all the time, like the inner child's right there. And you know, here's you know, one tip that your, your listeners can do. If you don't feel you're playing enough, here's something you can do with a bunch of your friends. Reach out to three of, to five of your closest friends or colleagues, whoever you, know, you, know, you deem is really close to you that know you really well and ask them these two questions. What value do I bring to your life? Because I think a lot of times we don't know what value, what we do for people. So what value do I bring to your life? And then when have you seen me most alive? And another way to ask that is like, when have you seen me most creative, most engaged, most present? So what value do I bring to your life? And when have you seen me most alive? And when you get the answers back, man, and you write them all down, there's this, this list of all these ways in which you can play that you probably haven't been playing in a really long time. And then you can reach back out to your friends and be like, yo, help me do this and follow that curiosity. It's going to take you to some magical place you never thought possible. Awesome. I think that's a great place to end here. Jeff, thanks again for coming on the show. This is great. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Where can people go to find you online and learn more about your work? Sure. So simply go to rediscoveryourplay.com, click on the Let's Play button where I have a bunch of play experiments to figure out who you are, and then hop on a call with me and we can figure out how you can kick ass in this world by simply playing more. Awesome. You all can also visit my website, chaserosa.com, and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time.